Our gospel lesson this morning comes from the gospel of Luke chapter 6, verses 27 to 38. Jesus says, But I say to you that, listen, love your enemies. Do good to those who hate you. Bless those who curse you. Pray for those who persecute you. If anyone strikes you on your cheek, offer the other also. And from anyone who takes away your coat, do not withhold even your shirt. Give to everyone who begs from you, and if anyone takes away your goods, do not ask for them again. Do to others as you would have them do to you. If you love those who love you, what credit is that to you? For even sinners love those who love them. If you do good to those who do good to you, what credit is that to you? For even sinners do the same. If you lend to those from whom you hope to receive, what credit is that to you? Even sinners lend to sinners to receive as much again. But love your enemies, do good, and lend, expecting nothing in return. Your reward will be great, and you will be children of the Most High. For he is kind to the ungrateful and the wicked. Be merciful, just as your Father is merciful. Do not judge, and you will not be judged. Do not condemn, and you will not be condemned. Forgive, and you will be forgiven. Give, and it will be given to you. A good measure, pressed down, shaken together, running over, will be put into your lap. For the measure you give will be the measure you get back. This is the word of God for the people of God. Amen. First of all, it's great to be back. And Courtney and Sebastian and I really appreciate all of the love and the food and the prayers and the food and the gifts and the food. You guys gave a lot of food. (laughs) There was so much food and we were so grateful for all of it. So thank you so much. If you don't know what I'm talking about, I'm just getting back from paternity leave, and this morning what I want to do is talk about a room that I was in at the very beginning of my time away. Before I walked into the operating room where my son would be born, I was first told to go into a little room and wait until Courtney was prepped and the team was in place. They said that I'd find some scrubs in that room to put on, which I did, but in the closet with the scrubs, they also had those little hats that surgeons wear. You know what I'm talking about? The little ones that tie in the back? I couldn't remember if they told me to put one of those on or not, but I couldn't resist because they just look so cool on TV, don't they? (laughs) I quickly found out, and in real life, they don't. Apparently, surgeons in the entire cast of Grey's Anatomy have a certain head shape that I don't share because on them, they look cool. On me, these little hats, they look ridiculous. So, I distracted myself with different surgical hat-wearing methods until I realized that that's exactly what I was doing. I was distracting myself. I was distracting myself from the weirdness of being in that room. Because when I walked out of that room, I knew that my life was going to be completely different. I didn't know how it was going to be different, but I knew that as soon as I left that little room with the scrubs and the surgical hats, I'd be a dad. And that still sounds weird to say. And I have no earthly idea how to do any of that. And I want to suggest that we've all been in rooms like this before. 
We've all been in a room that we know once we leave it, everything is going to be different. And we don't know how it's going to be different, but we do know that we don't know how to navigate the next step. We celebrate and we grieve in rooms like this. There are rooms that we walk out of and then we're ushered down a hallway and we walk down an aisle to marry someone and we have no idea what that's going to be like. These are rooms that we walk out of after signing some papers that suddenly make us homeowners and we don't know how to be homeowners. Are there rooms where we take final exams to finish another school year and another chapter of our lives and we don't know what the next one looks like? Are there dorm rooms that we walk out of and then drive away, leaving our kids at college? Maybe these aren't actual rooms. Maybe there's something like phone calls where you get news that you know is going to change your life drastically as soon as you disconnect from that phone call. I don't know where it was for you. I don't know when it was for you. But we've all been in these rooms, haven't we? The early Christians found themselves in one of these rooms at the end of the first century. This was a room where a guy named John was dying. And John led what was probably one of the most interesting lives in history. We don't know a lot about John, but what we're told in scripture and in different stories that have circulated about him is pretty fascinating. So John was one of Jesus' followers, but he wasn't just any old disciple. He was part of an inner core of disciples called the Twelve. Do you know why they called them the Twelve? It's because there were twelve of them. (laughs) And their marketing team wasn't creative. So he was part of the twelve, but then there was this other group of disciples that were especially close to Jesus. There were three of them, so you know what they called them? They didn't have a name. Their marketing team was even worse than the 12s. But these three, Peter, James, and yes, John, these guys were closer to Jesus than the others. They saw things and learned, from, uh, learned things from Jesus that the others didn't have the opportunity to. But as close to Jesus as even these three were, John still stood out because John had a nickname. Does anyone remember what John's nickname was? Yeah, they called John the disciple that Jesus loved. So this was Jesus' closest follower, maybe Jesus' best friend. The Celtic Christians talk about how unique John's relationship was with Jesus by saying that John got to recline on Jesus' chest and actually hear the heartbeat of God. After the resurrection and the ascension, John became a leader in the church. One by one, he saw other members of the Twelve get put to death because of their association with Jesus and with the church, but John survived all of this. There are some interesting stories about how the Roman officials actually tried putting John to death, but none of these worked. So they tried feeding him to lions. He tamed the lions. There are some stories about how they tried boiling him in a vat of oil, and he just sat in it like it was a jacuzzi. I like to picture him asking a centurion for a mojito just to rub it in. There are other stories about how they tried to make him drink poison wine, but he prayed over the wine and he was able to drink it. This is why sometimes you'll see John portrayed with a cup that he's making a sign of a blessing over as a dragon crawls out of it. Anyway, the Romans got so tired of trying to kill this guy that eventually they just exiled him. They threw him onto an island, but on this island he received the visions that are recorded in the book of Revelation. So... No wonder it was so significant when John was finally on his deathbed. 
He followed Jesus from the time that he was a boy. He was Jesus' best friend. He had a long life to reflect on what following Jesus actually meant. And he was the last of the disciples who physically walked with Jesus. So after John was gone, that era was going to be over. The Christians in that room where John was dying would leave that room and everything was going to be different. So you have to wonder, what did John say to reassure his friends as he was dying? What instructions did he give? What parting words did he have? Was there anything that he thought was of primary importance to these disciples who would walk out of this room into a world that was going to be completely different because the man who knew Jesus best was gone? Well, there's a tradition that tells us that as John was dying, he whispered something over and over again with every one of his last breaths. According to this tradition, John kept on repeating this. He said... Just love one another. Love comes from God, so just love one another. Love comes from God, so just love one another. It's a beautiful parting message, but I'm going to level with you. It's probably not what his friends and his followers wanted to hear. Because, first of all, not for nothing, this was recycled material for John. He had already written this in one of his letters that we have in the New Testament. So at least somebody in that room was probably thinking, dude, we've already heard that one. This is your deathbed. Step it up. Maybe give us some new material here. I'd imagine that some others in the room were probably thinking, John, you need to cut the peace and love hippie Jesus stuff. Because we are vulnerable here. We need something with edge. We need something with teeth. We need to be able to defend ourselves from whatever's on the outside of this little room when we leave it. And I'd imagine that some others in the room were scared to death because they knew that the kind of love that John was talking about was the kind of love that Jesus taught. And that love doesn't have any loopholes. I mean, you heard what we just read in Luke's gospel. Love your enemies. And if that isn't clear, do good to those who hate you. And if that leaves any questions, bless those who curse you. And if you still have questions, do to others as you would have them do to you. And then the trump card at the end, be merciful just as God is merciful. But apparently, the church at its most vulnerable state... The church, when it found itself in one of those rooms that everything changes upon exit was also the church that needed to remember that the most important thing is love one another. Love comes from God, so love one another. Now, I bring this up because I'm hearing a lot of things that lead me to believe that we think that the United Methodist Church is in one of those rooms this weekend. Right now, we're having a general conference. We're having a global meeting where we're making some decisions about our stance on issues of human sexuality. And a lot of you have been asking what's going to happen when this meeting was over. The truth is, though, we don't know. And we usually don't when we're in the state of being in one of these little rooms. But I want to go back to what John said, one of the first times that Christians found themselves on the cusp of a change that they didn't fully understand. Love one another. Love comes from God, so love one another. And that call maybe just as irritating to you 
as it was for the people who were gathered around John's deathbed. Because just love one another sounds just a little bit vague, doesn't it? (laughs) And if we're completely honest, it sounds a little bit weak when we have our defenses up and we're ready for a fight. But I'm willing to admit that Jesus' best friend, the man who heard the heartbeat of God, the man who faced death from enemies several times over in his lifetime, I'm willing to admit that this guy actually knows something about how to take those next steps into an uncertain future. So to all of you who, like me, are wondering what's going to happen after General Conference this week, we're going to love one another. And if you, like me, are asking what's going to happen if friends become perceived enemies, we're going to love one another. And if you, like me, are thinking, sure, but doesn't love mean calling people out on their sins and shortcomings, I suppose so, but Jesus' line about doing to others as we would have them do to us should probably give us some pause as we figure out how to do that. So we're going to love one another. I'm also going to guess that there are some of you here who really don't care about General Conference this week and you didn't even know that it was happening until you got here because you're in a room of your own right now and you're just trying to figure out what your next steps are going to be. I don't know what you're going through and I can only speak from my own experience trying to follow the advice somebody much older and wiser and closer to Jesus than anyone else was in history. As you take each step out of that room and into uncertainty, and as you stumble and completely fail into living into that call, it's still life-changing to remember those words. Just love one another. Love comes from God, so just love one another. Love comes from God, so just love one another.